0: Culture is the big thing. I mean, people want to be part of something. Mm-hmm. They want to be part of something. They want to be around like-minded people, pursuing similar goals. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast
1: where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. You
0: Happy. Happy
1: Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, it's episode 126. Today, you're going to get a history lesson in industrial automation recruiting. Our guest this week is Gary Miller, the CEO of Miller Resource Group an industrial recruiting firm based in Naperville, Illinois, that specializes in hard-to-find personnel in automation, robotics, food and beverage, and more. From sales to engineering, packaging to emerging technologies, they cover a range of applications and roles, and I've enjoyed getting to know a number of their team members over the past five to six years, which is why it's about time we featured Gary on this show. Now, Gary's been around the block more than a few times, and he's got stories, so I think you're going to like this one. Here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll hear about Gary's background and how he got into the world of industrial recruiting back in the 70s. Second, we discuss hiring strategy, how to set your company apart, strategies for hiring even when times are tough, and the type of questions people should be asking whether they're the one interviewing for the job or the ones doing the hiring. Finally, we go beyond recruiting and riff about leadership, timeless business books, and rock music. And for the most part, we cover all three of these at the same time. So if you want to learn more, if you want to reference anything that we discuss in this episode, well, hey, head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 126. And by the way, if you want to be a part of conversations like this with a community of over 600 manufacturing leaders, well, go to manufacturinghappyhour.com community. That'll take you straight to our private LinkedIn group. If you shoot me a message and request to join that group, I would love to have you in there. We're always looking for more forward-thinking leaders that are trying to drive the manufacturing industry forward. Anyway, it's time to jump into today's episode. I will say this episode was a little bit echoey in the room where we recorded, but that shouldn't stop you from picking up some great tips from this interview. With that said, it's time to meet up with Gary Miller. Gary, this is long overdue. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Thank
0: you. Good to be here.
1: Well, since you've long observed the show, so you know how this starts, we are hanging out in MRG Studios today here in Naperville, Illinois. But if we were having a beer or a beverage of your choosing, where would that be? Describe that.
0: Uh, I would say um, my favorite uh, tavern in the world is the Green Turtle Tavern in Fernandina Beach at Amelia Island in Florida. All right. Laid back, outdoor music, local artists, um, lots of uh, 70s rock cover, which yeah. you, know, uh, you might know is my, my thing. And we just love to go sit there and uh, soak it in. We'll
1: we'll talk about seventies rock a little later on. So let's right, assume sure. we're we're hanging there, yeah. Green Turtle Tavern, maybe a Grateful Dead cover as much as you can cover the Grateful Dead right. in in the background, right? And uh, and someone's asking you about your career story, right? Which is what we're here to start with today. Okay. And Miller Resource Group, very successful recruiting firm, big name in the automation recruiting space. But I'm curious. Let's go back a number of years. How did you get started in recruiting?
0: Well, I'm uh. I, the, I love stories about serendipity, you know. So it started when my parents met. No, it started when their parents met. You know, so uh, the fact that uh, so I was in Western Illinois University, uh, about to graduate, unsure what I was going to do. I had a job lined up. Um, I was a bartender, and, and a patron told me I should be in sales, so I started to consider sales. But I had I had something lined up; it fell through and then uh so a month after graduation i have nothing going on Uh, my then girlfriend now my wife sandy said you know my sister went to this place in oakbrook illinois called sales consultants and they play salespeople. i went there i got an interview why don't you go there so i went there and sure enough they sent me on an interview uh selling greeting cards or something like that and uh I called back a couple days after an interview, timely follow-up, and uh, I asked for the guy and they said, he's no longer works here. And I said, well, who who's taking his place? And they said, why? Are you interested? And I said, <laughs> sure. sure, it's a job. You know, they wore neckties. I majored in business. It's like a perfect match, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I went in for an interview and they uh, it was a small office, like seven guys in there, smoking only and uh, they passed me around one guy said sell me this pen you know was that kind of thing yeah and uh the assistant manager said no he said I have no experience I'd be afraid of the phone the owner of the firm said you know what there's something I like about this kid let's give him a, a one-week tryout. two dollars an hour minimum wage draw against commission I said well I get the 80 dollars for the whole week no matter what? He said, yeah. I said, all right, let's give it a shot. And uh, I took to it right away. I liked it. And uh, I just fell into it. It became a natural thing. And I like talking to people on the phone. I didn't know anything about anything. So asking people that question, how did you get started? What do you do? What are you Mm -hmm. famous for? What do you want to be when you grow up? All these questions just poured out of me because I didn't know anything and uh, learned later on that those were good skills to have Mm -hmm. as a recruiter or salesperson. To me, they're kind of interchangeable, but that's how we got started.
1: Well, I'm interested to learn about another question or set of questions you might have asked because you teased this a bit when we talked about how you started focusing on industrial automation. So at some point, I think you said you were having a conversation with someone and they're like, hey, can you help me find someone that can work this new thing called a PLC,
0: right? right? Tell me a bit about that story. So when I started there, uh, the guy who worked before me, even though he sent me on an interview to sell greeting cards, he was the electrical and electronics specialist. He had a box of index cards. He had a yellow pages opened up to motors and controls or um, electronic components. Electrical and electronic components were one and I would just go up and down the list and, and call these companies. And uh, But if somebody called in looking for help, they were assigned to your, your industry. And so I was the electrical and electronic specialist and, and pumps and valves and whatever else too, uh, industrial. But anyway, the guy said, um, I need to hire a sales engineer to sell a new device for the factory floor. It's called a programmable controller. It replaces relays. hmm I said okay, Um, and I had there was a resume on my desk of somebody who sold relays, and I thought, well, this guy's probably going to want to sell what's going to put him out of business. So I, I I told him about the opportunity. I sent him over there, and the client called me back and he said, uh, "Do you have anybody else?" And I said, "No." He said, "He's perfect. I'm going to hire him, and I need to hire three more like him." That company at the time was Texas Instruments. Mm. later acquired by Siemens, and now that's part of that world. That uh, that sales manager left that company just a few months later and went over to Modicon, Yeah, where he had me help him find uh, a team of sales engineers to sell the, the micro, the 484, I think it was called, the smallest PLCs. And I helped him hire several people, and then another fellow called uh, a fellow that some people may remember, a fellow who took me under his wing and taught me a lot. His name was John Pemble. Okay. He was the regional manager in Detroit. And uh, he said, are you the one that's helping Bill find all those salespeople? I need about four or five of them myself. <laughs> and we just started on a, 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 it was one after another after another. And Modicon between 1978 and 1982 grew from about, I think, 10 to 80 salespeople. Yeah. And I think I helped them hire half of them. Wow. But you can imagine how many people I had to talk to to find those you know, 30 or 40 that they hired. Now, also, what was unique about Modicon at the time is they were, they were paying very aggressively for growth and new sales. Mm-hmm. And they did grow uh, rapidly. But there was a recession in 1982, and the growth stopped. The investment in technology. It was just like, and all these these people, um, I almost said guys, but it was mostly guys, but not all. But most of them who were paid on growth, their income slowed down. The recession hit and they scattered. Mm. And they went elsewhere. But they came back in 1983. And I just... I didn't know any better. Somebody said, Well, what would you have done if you didn't make it? And I said, I don't know. I never thought about that. I just kept calling, calling, calling. 1993, they started to call back, except they worked for um, machine vision companies or they were startup vision companies, or somebody went to work for Measure X to sell process control and mm-hmm. paper control, you know, paper um, systems. And some went off to sell. Uh, sensors and someone off to sell RFID and uh, inkjet. You know, one of my <laughs> clients, I said, "What's an inkjet printer?" He says, "Well, it's like a PLC, but it leaks." <laughs> 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 so uh, and and so that's how we learned about all of that. It's like if the if the PLC was at the center of sure everything that it was connected to was where we developed our practice, and then ah. and it just kept. It just kept going and it kept going and it kept going and um later on we we had more opportunities than we could handle, so I started hiring people uh, incidentally around nineteen eighty four right after that recession, I was like the last man standing mm-hmm. and the owner of our firm wasn't real healthy, and he asked me if I wanted to buy the firm and so I said, Sure, it just made sense. There was no mm-hmm. like forethought really or it was not a strategic objective it just seemed like the easiest way to
1: bit of intuition there yeah, yeah.
0: you know I went uh, Friday I left as a salesman Monday I came in as the business owner so it was uh kind of unique but um but we kept hiring people and I said here you learn about this industry and you learn about that andus- industry. and industry one fellow uh it was a, a VP at modicon back in the day and he disappeared and he showed up at a company called Andover Controls, which was our foothold into the building automation business.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He said, yeah, it's a PLC, but it doesn't control the factory. It controls the temperature and the climate and whatnot in, in, a, uh, uh, in a building. And, and so we launched that practice. We still have that today. So it's just, uh, again, it was just like uh, if I had not met my wife, if she didn't pick me up at Papa K's in <laughs> Macomb, <Macaulay>, Illinois <laughs> in 1973, yep. I mean, I don't know that I'd be here. Well, I've got two questions. First question is, what is Papa K's or what was Papa K's? That was the bar I was was tending bar in 1973. That would have been the other bar that I would have mentioned if I had a second choice. Sure.
1: Okay. All right. Well,
0: we've always got a round two. So, all right. Well, now that we've cleared up what Papa
1: K's is, I have a question kind of going back to, and I knew we were going to get a good automation industry history lesson there. But going back, one of the things I'd love the manufacturing leaders to take away from this is, what type of conversations were you having with people when you're like, hey, do you want to sell this brand new thing, right? Like that's, I imagine if I were a salesperson back then, I might have been a little hesitant to jump into something that had never been sold before.
0: Well, the, uh, the, you know, they took great pains to educate me on what the PLC did and they explained things to me. I mean, John, John Pembo was, I still to this day, he said, Gary, in manufacturing, there's things. And there's stuff, things you count, stuff you measure, and it you know made sense to me. And so, but if you think about it, you know the PLC has been probably the single most uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Nothing has affected automated manufacturing in the globe than this device. Uh, It has done more to advance manufacturing than maybe anything else. At least as from my layman's view, it's been at the centerpiece of all that. Somehow those guys convinced me that that was going to happen. And that, so I just brought that energy. Mm-hmm. I could not explain, uh, you know, how many IO there were and, 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 and that sort of thing. And was it profi bus or Modbus? I mean, those things didn't make any sense. I just knew that this product was going to help change the world of manufacturing, mm. uh, get this team was incredible. The opportunity to earn and contribute was incredible. And uh, I'm not saying you should take the job, but I think it might be prudent to take a look. Hmm. And then the clients were awesome at selling the opportunity. I never sold anybody on taking a job. I just tried to sell them on taking a look.
1: Oh, okay. I think that's an interesting approach to many things, sure. right? Not necessarily Over. overly selling it, but just like take a look, like give them the nudge. Yeah. I mean, what
0: they, what they stood to lose was an hour. What they stood to gain was career nirvana, right? So seemed like a pretty good trade-off.
1: I like that. I like that. Well, I want to talk now in the present. So when you and I spoke before this, you mentioned, Hey, you know, accountants do accounting lawyers. They do law recruiters do recruiting, but you know, if you're really going to, you know, if a company is really going to attract the best talent in this day and age, and we know they're, that's one of the biggest challenges for companies these days, you know, how do companies tell their story such that their company becomes magnetic? I want to hear your perspectives on this as someone that's been in this game for decades.
0: Well, I think... Uh... Well, that's, that's, it's such a broad question. Mm-hmm. And, and we could, I could tell a lot of stories about what's worked and what doesn't work. I mean, we've placed thousands and thousands of people and, and have feedback for tens of thousands of interviews on both sides, like why it worked, why it didn't work, what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, I think, you know, if you want to attract people, you need to be attractive. Mm-hmm. And it's the companies that I think that put some thought into that. How do we attract people? what what makes us attractive and spend some time, you know, companies spend executives to tell me they spend two days arguing about budgets and how much they should be able to spend that lunch and zero time talking about how to package their story so they could attract the top people. So I mean, There's some company in the world that's the best at it. There's somebody that's the worst at it, and everybody else is in between those two. And I just think that the ones that pay attention to it and put some thought into it and and try to look at it through the eyes of a candidate. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I wrote on a website a decade ago that um, companies who – Spend as much time figuring out how to track candidates as they do customers are going to be mm-hmm. better off. I mean, it is a strategic initiative, and you read the books like um, Good to Great. You know, get the right people on the bus first, and then you can figure out where to go. If you got great people, you can navigate anywhere. So that was uh, that was important. I think. And one one lesson I learned one time. Uh, I was presenting to, uh, my Vistage group back then it was called tech and I was part of Vistage for about 10 years and I was new at it and I had to give the pitch about my company. I had to do this to a peer group of CEOs that I didn't know. So I started out by saying, you know, there's a, a sea of people out there. Um, why would they want to work for you? Is it your products? Is it your vision? Is it your market is it your leadership is it your compensation plan is it your benefit what is it why why would somebody want to work for you and who's going to tell the story to them and i paused and then i went into this pitch about miller resource we're the greatest we've got this we've got tools (laughs) we got technology we got a database and then i was they were to, to give me feedback. On my presentation, he said, when you paused in the middle after you asked us all those questions about why would somebody want to work for us, who's going to tell the story, if you would just shut up right then and give me your business card, I'd have been all over it. So all of our processes and the the, the techniques for talking to kids, it's just volume. We talk to a lot of people mm-hmm. trying to find the ones that match up. And it's not just. You know, people call us headhunters. I like to say I'm a circumstance hunter. You got to find the right person, but it's got to be the right time in their life. Location has to be good. The challenge has to be right. Compensation has to be right. Their mood has to be right. Their family's mood has to be right. Um, The astrological sign has to be. (laughs) There's a whole lot of things that have to go into somebody, you know, being willing to lean in at just the right time and explore an opportunity. So anyway, that was a long-winded answer to your question. But but uh, a, a company, be, I mean, it's our business. And we try to be leaders by example at this, and we're mm-hmm. far from perfect. I've paid recruiters to find people for me to tell our story out in the marketplace.
1: Well, one of the questions I have coming from this, because you really are A modern recruiter, right? You take advantage of a lot of the tools and technologies that are out there to more effectively tell your own story as well. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about this from the perspective of, you know, a company, an employer that's listening to this, you know, you made a comment earlier. It's about packaging the story, Mm -hmm. right? So, how are great companies packaging their story today? Maybe I should phrase this, how are companies that are really effective at packaging their story today? What are they doing?
0: Well, I think that they're trying to hit on the the many aspects uh, that that go into that decision making uh, for a candidate. I mean, one of my mentors told me, he said, Gary, selling is nothing more than sitting down in front of your customer, opening up your box of goodies and casting about until you find something that they care about. So if you just say our technology is where it's at. We're just tech, technology. You'll attract people that are turned on by technology, but you might not attract people that are into leadership or career development or training or design or um, execution or client facing. If you just talk about compensation, you'll miss out on people that are motivated by innovation. So, um, you know, culture is the big thing. I mean, people want to be part of something. Mm -hmm. They want to be part of something. They want to be around like-minded people, uh, pursuing similar goals. I mean, you remember that um, the Gallup 12 survey. I love that survey where they proved that profitable companies scored much higher on emotional issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I have a best friend at work? Do I have the right tools? at my? you know, does my boss care about me as a person? So, when you're designing a strategy, you've got to have a cultural piece. You've got to have a job piece. You have to have a how do you? What's the industry all about? Where is the industry growing? What's the company history and its vision? What is the leadership team made up and its its values? Where what are they all about? And uh, you got to tell this whole story. Something in there is going to appeal to somebody may not be the same thing that appeals uh, to others. But if you don't have people lined up waiting to talk to you, Mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of choices. Sure. And then when you get them in the door, uh, another mentor asked me one time, he said, Gary, are people jumping over the desk, grabbing you by the tie and telling you that they want to work there? I said, no. He said, well, then you're not selling it properly. So, I mean, you have to, a, but a good salesperson tries to read their audience. Yeah. So it used to be about, tell me why I should hire you, where now it should be, I appreciate your interest in investigating a company. What is it that is, appeals to you about mm-hmm. what you've seen so far? And try to follow that path. Yeah asking the right questions is what i'm i'm hearing from this know thy audience
1: yes yes and i like how you broke it down by hey some people are going to be interested in the tech some are going to be focused on the culture right and it's like you said knowing the audience and catering to that individual in the process so you you also talked earlier in your history in recruiting that 1982 i think was the year where the recession hit your first recession right so you've been around this block more than a few times at this point and that's maybe a tactical question i want to ask around what should you know how do you see recessions impacting people's recruiting session, uh recruiting strategies let's start there
0: well um back then it was just like start and stop sure stop hiring uh stop everything stop investing count your money uh you know i wasn't i wasn't very economically astute back then the first time i heard the word recession i was like what does that mean
1: Mm -hmm.
0: hiring freeze i didn't know what that meant so i had to experience it so it was it was pretty um it was pretty impactful i mean i was about broke i mean i went from you know two new cars a mortgage and a new child and uh to like where's my next mortgage payment coming from yeah and so like i said i just kept plowing through it not thinking there was any other solution like go find another job i was just gonna just plow through it but you know it's i know it's hard on a lot of people um other reset i mean i don't even remember there was 87 or 88 there was 93 there you know around 2001 was horrible um especially in tech,
1: Mm -hmm. we had
0: heavily invested in tech recruiting back then. And I mean, not just industrial tech, but software and the internet bubble, whatnot. And then of course, 2007, 2008, Um, there's always pain. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think now it's like, it seems to me that, especially in this market right now, given the shortage of just able-bodied people, hmm the from a hiring standpoint it's not going to be as as dreadful it not especially not in manufacturing because we have to eat right and the again i'm i'm still an amateur economist but the insatiable appetite for goods and services that um that still civil, need to be made still, and civilians <laughs> have and they've got cash and they've got you know, trillions of dollars of baby boomer money is going to get passed to the next generation that they're going to spend on things. Mm-hmm. But, the, but you know, the, I've always been fascinated by the the world of work and and labor that, you know, people have to eat. I mean, you have to reach for that food and and put it to your mouth. That's effort. That's labor. And you have to produce things. You have to produce output to get income to buy the food. I mean, it's just it's just part of life. and And people are going to find an avenue. The best way they can. I'm not. um I'm not very gloomy about the economy because I think talent always finds a, a way. Yeah, talented people are always going to have a place. If a company's not doing, if a company's doing well, they're going to need more talent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If they're not doing well, they might need different talent. But I think since as long as I've worked here, I've never talked to a manager that wouldn't. Be willing to consider another great player for their team i mean if, if you're a take any football team if you're a football team about any pro sports team if an icon from the industry says hey i'm moving to your town i want to be on your team what do you do hang up on them <laughs> that's a great analogy you know you, you talk to them and you find you find a way you at least open the dialogue
1: yeah, yeah. so is there i mean if i'm hearing this right The good companies are going to be doing this, regardless. Is there advice you'd have for the manufacturing leaders on while we're continuing with the sports analogies, how to keep their eye on the ball, whether it's you know a recession or some other distraction in the way of what they want to do to grow?
0: Well, uh, don't listen to the prophets of doom. You know, you (laughs) got to keep. uh, You know, we're. I like to talk a lot about the early pioneers. Mm -hmm. You know, they had a vision of going west. Yeah. Somebody sold them on a dream mm-hmm. and uh they had no idea the hardships they were going to face on their way to the promised land. Yeah. And they were never really discouraged by that. They kept most of them kept going. Uh some didn't make it unfortunately. Some stopped and settled and mm-hmm. you know hunkered down but the pioneers they just kept going. They just kept going. I had the thought about why America is such an innovative country is like look at all the people that came here for opportunity mm-hmm. i mean it's been the country was founded on the principle of opportunity in a better place and a better life and it's probably now inbred in us you know it's just you just can't help it so there's people like if there's a recession coming we're going to figure out a way to get around it yeah you know it's like a flooded creek right mm-hmm. you know we got to get across it
1: yeah i'm i'm you know we're about a little over halfway through our interview i've got some other questions and and one that's jumping out is beyond recruiting right you have a unique leadership style so um given that we're also recruiting this uh, they're recording this in your studio here at mrg offices anyone watching the video can probably see a lot of grateful dead paraphernalia behind me right now one question i had to kick off our let's say leadership portion of the conversation was how has The Grateful Dead influenced your leadership style? Maybe provide some backstory too.
0: Oh, I don't, I don't uh <laughs> you know, I went to a lot of shows when I was in college and and I still every day I probably listen listen to it. It's my Serious XM channel all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just something in there uh that moved me. But I think, you know, I I started reading Jack Kerouac and whoever though, Alan Waugh, whoever those people were way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And and Uh, actually later on, somebody, uh, turned me on to Eastern philosophy. I started reading some of that and, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I've always been a reader and a listener. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when I was 23 years old, I asked some very well-to-do vice president say, what advice would you give me as a young person starting out my career? He said, well, if I were you, I would make sure you have a tape player in your car and listen to tapes every day on the way to work. What am I going to do, argue with them? So I did. And I started listening to books and listening to tapes at an early age and probably hundreds, if not thousands of, of books. And, but it was more than, you know, in the beginning it was Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn. But later on it was management books and leadership books and philosophy books and behavioral economics books and I don't know, but the, the we both discussed that book, uh, Everything I Learned About Marketing, I Learned From the Grateful Dead. I mean, yeah. they were one of the original network marketers. I mean, they basically gave their stuff away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they allowed people to tape their music and share it. Uh, it didn't cost them anything. It could have hurt them, but it only built the following uh, to a greater degree. I mean, and still, I mean, to this day, there's – Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that follow them almost like in a cult like way. Mm-hmm. And, but they never tried too hard. Sure. Other than to, to give their stuff away and, and increase their fan base. Mm-hmm. They didn't try to overtly sell them too many things and that sort of thing. But, um, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that the, that they influenced my leadership as much as some of the other things I've read and the coaches and mentors I've had, though.
1: Sure. Well, there was I was going somewhat with this, and I'm sure someone picked up the value as they're listening to this out there of sharing content and insights for free to, to mm-hmm. pull in your ideal client, audience, whatever you want to describe them as. But you did talk about your early mentor saying, hey, have tapes in the car, right? Listen to these books that I might as well be part of the, the Gary Miller book club, given the amount of recommendations you've thrown my way. But you know, now that you've been through so much of your career, you talked about the early advice that you received. What advice would you give to someone starting your career? What's been one of the most timeless pieces of advice that you've received in the past 30, 40 years that you'd still give to someone today?
0: Well, that was one. Yeah. I mean, and it's not reading and and listening and and you know, Zig Ziglar said you're where you are, you're what you are because of what's going into your head, mm-hmm. and you get to control that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if somebody is thinking about coming to work for us, and he's thinking about coming to work, going to work for somebody else, and he comes in. My, my office and he, he sees library books and he start we start talking about books and, and he, yeah, I've read thousands of books. I mean, I, whatever. I'm, and the other place he goes and and the candidate says, I'm curious if you've read any books that have impacted you. And the guy says, no, I don't do that. I've got this, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a mindset. I mean, I'm a lifelong learner. I mean, sure. I, um, I'm, I'm looking for a, uh, retirement mentor I'm trying to figure out how to I, I said jokingly in a quote a few a couple of weeks ago in a LinkedIn post I said I'm trying to quietly quit but I can't I'm just <laughs> I'm too engaged and, and involved with our people and I'm enjoying watching them succeed and it's very hard to let go and I know I can't imagine not being engaged mm-hmm. so something I want to learn about And so I think just somehow you have to uh, adopt a a learning mindset. Um, It's funny when I, uh, when I bought the company, I was still a sales guy, Mm -hmm. but I started reading books on management and leadership. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that those were the books that my clients were reading. And we had some very interesting conversations about management philosophy and leadership philosophy. So which is then why I thought it a good idea to start going to association meetings and conferences and sitting next to our clients. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't go there as much to sell and network. I'm not very pitchy when I go to those things. But I am sitting next to them, observing what they're interested in, what they want to learn about. And that's what I want to learn about. I like how you present it as like a
1: bit of a contrarian strategy, but isn't that what we all should be doing like at these events, like going there and observing and just listening and figuring out what's important to them?
0: Well, uh, like I say there, oh, I'm not going there. I'm not very pitchy. Well, yes, I'm not very pitchy. I've never been a very pitchy person, but if somebody wanted to sell me something, or wanted me to sell them something, I would not say no. Not here. Not here. of course. <laughs> sure, I, sure. We'd talk about it. I have a vision. Everybody I talk to, every client prospect, that I'm going to win their business and get all their business for the rest of time. Mm. So that's like my benchmark. Yeah. Um, mm. And so far, I've not done that. <laughs> We've had some very good clients that we've, we've impacted in a big way and there's nothing more gratifying than repeat business. Yes. Other than watching your team excel. But, um, you know, repeat business where, Hey, you did a good job there. Uh, we need more people like that. Mm -hmm. You get us. Uh, I appreciate that. That's, that's why we, we do what we do. Yeah. You know,
1: I, um, I normally save this question for the very end of the interview, but I want to see where you go with this, just because there's so much that myself and all the listeners could learn from you and so many stories and examples you have. You know, we, today we've talked about how you got started. We've talked a little bit about recruiting, a little bit about leadership. Is there anything that hasn't come up yet that you're dying to talk about during this conversation? Something you wish I would have asked you.
0: No, I, I uh, no, I, I don't think so because okay. there's any one of a variety of places we could go. Yeah, we for the talk- record, I still have more questions. Right. For you. No, <laughs> I, I think um, I you you mentioned a leadership philosophy, and and uh, I think recruiting is in itself kind of a leadership event
1: mm-hmm. that you're
0: leading somebody to a new place
1: mm-hmm.
0: or a new avenue to find talent or whatever. But you're basically leading people down a path, and so. I feel like how can you lead anybody anywhere unless you're going somewhere yourself? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I'm on this journey that I'm out there trying to figure things out. Uh, the more I learn, the more I realize I have a lot more to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm a quote collector. Okay. Not like I'm dropping them here and there and everywhere, but I actually have sure. a scrapbook. Oh, interesting. Of, of quotes that I've gathered over time. But somebody asked me, What's your leadership style? And I said, There's one in there. And I think it's. Pope Paul the sixth or Pope John the 23rd I don't know he said um see everything correct a little overlook a lot mm. and so I just truly really try not to I mean we've been remote for a couple of years there's some people here today we're here today there's some people visiting for the most part our people have been remote I have no idea what they're doing minute by minute day by day I just trust that they're doing well I'm offering services, support whenever we can give them the tools to get, and they're having record performance. Yeah. You know, and it's just so gratifying. I miss them. Sure. I miss the buzz for sure. I told them last week, I went to see a play a couple of weeks ago in the city, Evan Hansen, and I was so moved by the live performance and I've always been moved by live performance. I don't know why. Um, even at the Green Turtle Tavern, I'm moved by the live performance. <laughs> but uh, I think I miss seeing my people and hearing them in action. I mm-hmm. love it because
1: they're good. It's been a party
0: here today, though. There, you got
1: the whole crew here yep.
0: today. Uh, it
1: was pretty wild, <laughs>
0: it's noisy. It was nice.
1: It was nice, but yeah, no, it was it was good. I like the energy here, uh, and this is not my first time here. It won't be the, won't be the last. Um, just a few more questions for you. This next one's like a multi part, but rapid fire. Type okay. question. So, I made the little joke earlier about the Gary Miller um, book club, which isn't really a joke. He recommended everything from Lonesome Dove, cowboy novels, all the way to the book we ref- referenced earlier. Everything I learned about business, I learned from The Grateful Dead. Um, what book has had the longest impact on you? Just give, we'll give the audience some required reading
0: after this episode. Probably the the Dao De Jing by Lao Tzu. Okay. What and you give us a one minute summary. Well, it's just this hermit that was roaming around ancient China about two thousand b c and he wrote down his philosophy of living and passed it on to some people and it but you know you'll you'll see you know chop wood carry war, water, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. There's so many like hmm. philosophical quotes that can last a lifetime and mean so many different things, but it's also very calming. Okay. um you know things like um uh whether you're going up the ladder or down your feet aren't on the ground and it could be shaky so stay grounded stay centered Th- this recommendation checks out as some as a self-described quote collector as yeah. you called yourself a moment yeah, ago yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh you know be careful don't try to become a superstar the the teacher should never outshine the teaching mm you know, um, I like that one. I never heard that one before, but yeah. that immediately resonated. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that, they're, they're so, but that's led me to so many other books. Sure. I mean, I love Thinking Fast and Slow with David Kahneman. It's okay. like, you know, behavior and why humans do what they do. And uh, yeah, I just like I'm a geek for those kind of books. But then again, a novel like Lonesome Dove or something like that mm-hmm. can – I can pull leadership lessons out of that too.
1: Sure, I'm yeah. I'm still working my way through it, but it's been an excellent read so far. Yeah. Um, well, just a, just one more question, some actionable advice for the audience out here, and it's a it's a two way question, right? You know, what's a question that most candidates don't ask their potential employers that they should be asking, and then I'll tell you part two here in a second.
0: Um. Well, I used to, you know, I grew up in the South side of Chicago. So I'd ask Canada, I'd tell clients, so why is working for you a good deal? (laughs) You know, um, when I was doing like my intake calls, but I would say, well, you know, what's it going to be like working for you? I mean, Mm -hmm. tell me about the most successful hire you've ever had. Mm -hmm. What did they do? What did they, behaviors did they exhibit to make them so successful? You know, How did they become what they were? And then like, you're making a judgment then. I don't, I don't ask, I don't tell candidates to pursue jobs, um, you know, crazily, especially if they're not sure about it, but the same thing, like the client before, if the candidate doesn't want to work there, Mm -hmm. you don't really have anything to decide if you're an employer. Yeah. If you're a candidate, if you're not leaving a good impression then if they don't want to hire you, you you mm-hmm. don't have any decisions to make. So you've kind of got to get to that, that point. But I think um, I, I've spoken to uh, college students, mm-hmm. engineering students, and I'll say, hey, who wants to be in sales? And a lot of them look down at their shoes, right? And uh, I say, well, too bad, because now you're in sales and your services are what's for sale. Mm. You've got to go out there and find uh, a customer, a, an employer that has a problem, and you need to solve it. So you need to understand what the problem is and then demonstrate how your skills can help them solve that problem. Um, so if you're asking questions like that, what problems are you trying to solve? What does a great employee look like in your eyes? What? Uh, tell me about the best candidate you've ever hired. How did they... How, where did they come from? Tell me about the best employee you've ever had. What behaviors did they, you're making the person think about things that they might not have thought of. And that's of, great advice. One right of my mentors there. told me a long time ago, and this is talk about lessons that stick with you. He said, a great salesperson leaves value whether or not they sell anything. Mm. And so a few, I've always tried to ask customers questions that make them like two days later, they said, that guy, Gary, asked me this question. And I'll be darned if we've got to find an answer to that. Well, if I'm still in their head, that's a good thing. That's a great, wow, awesome stuff. <laughs> so when a candidate asks me questions that that make me stumble, I'm usually intrigued by that candidate.
1: And I know we're coming up on time, but in one minute, what's a question that most employers should be asking candidates that they don't ask?
0: You know, it it, it used to be, why should we hire you? I mean, that's And again, now you get slapped on the hand if you ask that, but you know, uh, I think they can be framed more if, if we work together, what can we do together that we couldn't do separately, you know, and, and try to create a team atmosphere from the, from the get-go. I mean, what do you want to become and how can I help you get there? Yeah. Or what do you want to be when you grow up? And let's see if this place is a place that, uh, with my support we can help you get there. Well,
1: Gary, I learned everything from every one of our conversations that we've had over the years. This one was no different. I'm just glad we got to record this one and share some of your insights with the rest of the audience. So thank you for taking the time today to jump on Manufacturing. Thank you, I I hope I
0: didn't I hope I didn't ramble too much. After the Grateful Dead, there was the Allman Brothers. So I hope I wasn't a, <laughs> hope I wasn't a rambling man. So Hey, hey, what, what a great way to end it with
1: some old, old rock and roll. So thanks again, Gary. All right. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Cheers. Bye, Chris. Hey, thanks for listening. And thank you, Gary and the whole Miller Resource team for making this episode possible. You know, I had a lot of fun recording this with Gary, I think you could tell. I was also there recording a bunch of content with their team that day, so all around a great time at Miller Resource Group, and I wasn't kidding, I've read at least five of the books that's Gary has, uh, that Gary has recommended to me over the years, so... I'd highly recommend heading to the show notes page, com slash 126. That's where you can get links to everything I know about business I learned from the Grateful Dead to Dao De Jing, which Gary was also recommending. And, of course, you can find a link to the Green Turtle Tavern because, hey, it's Manufacturing Happy Hour. You know, before we wrap up, I do want to give a shout out to A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. Their big Automate show is coming up here in 2023. It's in Detroit, Michigan. It's May 22nd through 25th, 2023. You can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com automate2023 to register today. And hey, if you're listening to this episode after that event is done, after May 2023, well, hey, A3 is always hosting events. Go to automate.org to find out exactly what they have going on regardless of when you're listening to this. One final, final call to action. I mentioned this at the start of the interview, but if you want to join a community of over 600 manufacturing leaders that are constantly trying to elevate the industry, grow their businesses, well, hey, join our community on LinkedIn. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It'll take you straight to our private LinkedIn group, Shoot me a message. I'd love to have you in that community. Just shoot me a quick note, like I said, with a bit of context so I know who you are, so I know that you heard about it in the podcast, and I will let you right in. With that, that's a wrap for this week. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour,
0: powered by the Industrial Network.